You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new film, Chop Shop, our guest today, director Ramin Barani, follows Alejandro, a tough and ambitious Latino street orphan on the verge of adolescence as he lives and works in an auto body repair shop in a sprawling junkyard on the outskirts of Queens, New York. Winner of the 2008 Independent Spirit Someone to Watch Award, Chop Shop will begin screening at the Lemley Sunset 5 in West Los Angeles this Friday, May 30th. Ramin Barani, welcome back to film school. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm doing very well. Now, are you in New York right now? I'm in New York, yes. Yeah, very good. How far are you away from the uh, spot where you shot this? I live in Brooklyn, uh, um, not okay. far from where I lived when I made the film. By walking and train, it would take me about 30, 45 minutes to get there. Uh, do you go back and visit the Iron Triangle is what it's called? Well, I it's went point? back there about um, six months ago because I was very curious about Shea Stadium, uh-huh. um, they've started to, they're really practically getting towards the end of the new one. And it, it just changed so much. Also, Rob's garage, the, the main central garage of the film had since closed, and the character of Rob himself was no longer there. So there were so many things that had changed. Yeah. That's fascinating, the film. I love the shots with Shea Stadium in the background mm-hmm. and, and Ollie watching the game. What first attracted you to Willis Point? Was there one incident, or was it just a, a curiosity that drove you back? Time after time. In fact, it was my cameraman, Michael Simmons, um, the cinematographer who had shot Man Push Cart, my first film, um, which we spoke about. When I was editing that film, Michael called me and said he was going to get his car fixed, and he thought I should join him because he had a feeling I would like what I saw. Mm. And sure enough, I did. It's 20 blocks of junkyards, auto body shops. It doesn't really quite look like it belongs in New York, but there it is. Mm-hmm. And I was immediately drawn to the fierce competition between the workers to get business, but also the then juxtaposing sense of camaraderie that they had with one another. I found this to seem to embody all the aspects of life. And as you said, Shea Stadium is directly across the street, Shea Baseball Stadium with a giant billboard that said, make dreams happen. And dreams, of course, adults have dreams, but when we think of dreams, we think of kids. And I started to notice these young kids that worked and lived in these garages and I started to wonder, well, what, what kind of dreams are these kids having here? And then proceeded to continue to go to the location for about one and a half years while I was working on the script with my co-writer and casting the film and preparing the production of it. So you lived in the area. Did you feel like that was an important thing for you to do to sort of get the feel for the story? Yeah, I didn't really live there, but I live in Brooklyn. That, that place is in Queens, but I would go there. Okay. Initially, while I was editing Man Push Card, I would go there maybe two, three times a month and then once Man Push Card ended in 2005, I started going there maybe four or five times a week okay. um, until culminating with the last six months before production, I would go there every day. I wanted a lot of the ideas to come out from what I would naturally see. I wanted the details of the location to incorporate themselves into the fiction of the story. The more time I spent there, the more people I met. A lot of these people became small characters in the film, oftentimes playing variations of themselves. The more time I spent there, the more they became comfortable with me and trusted me which enabled the movie to happen because it's not an easy place to film in. My subject matter is challenging, and I needed really for them to trust me to do that. You use 
non-actors. You've used the non-actors in Man Push Cart, and now you, you've used them again in Chop Shop. Now, where did you find Alejandro and Isamar? Alejandro and Isamar actually came from the same school. We saw about 100 schools, 25 youth centers, totaling maybe 2,000 kids. And we filmed 625 of them with a handy cam and audition process over the course of many months. Alejandro and Isamar came from the exact same school, actually, in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And they knew one another, which was quite good for the film because Isamar had stood up for Alejandro's real sister, who is older than him, but she was very tiny and she was getting picked on at school. And so Ismar had stood up for her, and Alejandro already really liked her for that and almost treated her like a sister already. And we started to do rehearsals and improvisations together for, for many months before I decided to cast them in the part. When you're working with non-actors, people who aren't classically trained, how much does it shade and, and change the script itself, the storyline? Do, do you find yourself doing things that are suited to the, the strengths of, the, of these two kids? I think you would do that even with a professionally trained actor. Um, you normally cast someone based on your perception that they would be strong for a role that has been written. I really think the main difference between a professional actor and a non-professional actor is one has done it before. The rest of it comes out in the working and process. Oftentimes I've learned in some of my films I have used, like in a film I'm working on and finishing now, I have one actor who's professional. I learned that one of the differences was it just took him less takes to get what I wanted, but the preparation process was exactly the same. A lot of rehearsal, changing of words, changing of a few things to match better the real person, and that's what happened with the kids. I never showed any of them the script, by the way. They never worked from a script at all? They just had an idea of what was going on then? Alejandro was is, he was the only person in the film who knew what happened from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. Of the other actors, actually knew what the rest of the film was about. It was only in the screening of the film for the first time that Isamar started to learn things that Alejandro was doing during the rest of the film. What I would do is I would tell them what each scene was about, what was the point of the scene, and then I would tell them verbally the dialogue that had been written. They would only remember just enough of it to begin rehearsing, and when they forgot, I would remind them of things. And I would tape these rehearsals for many months and transcribe them and take the best of their improvisations and incorporate them into the script, kind of their own language or little ideas that they had had on their own in the course of the rehearsal or ideas that I came up with them while we were doing these rehearsals. And then they had to memorize this new version. And that's kind of what they would do when we shot the film. Now, where were they rehearsing? Were they rehearsing in this uh, uh Willis Point area or in Manhattan near their school? For the initial months, they were rehearsing um, in school. Actually, the school that they both attended was gracious enough to allow me to use their facilities also for casting and rehearsing. They had the after-school program. We would use that. But for the last five weeks before we made the film, I took the kids, uh, Michael Simmons, my cameraman, and two or three assistants and interns with me, and we shot the whole movie with a handy cam on the location. So we would do each scene multiple, multiple times, rehearsing them on the location with the kids and the camera and what appeared to be a small crew. Even if the other people had nothing to do, I would bring them with me to create the feeling of a crew. Yeah. This would help also not just Ale and Izzy, who were the stars of the film, but also all the people who worked in the chop shop. They started getting used to the fact that I was not coming alone anymore, but that I was coming with a handful of people and one of them was going to be carrying a camera. Mm -hmm. 
Once we made the film, the camera just got bigger. The crew doubled in size from, you know, five, six people to maybe 14 people. And there was a fuzzy thing attached to a pole chasing people to record sound. <laughs> to them, it just looked like we were working. So, you know. How did Alejandro and Isamar react the first time they were there at uh, in Willis Point? Had they been there before? Were they shocked at what they saw? Or did they feel right at home? They had no idea about it at all. It's interesting, actually. You know, the DVD is going to be coming out this summer and part of the extras is going to be some of this rehearsal footage, actually, including, I hope, the very first time Alejandro went to the location and we see him for the first time interacting with Rob. Ollie's a very cool kid. He, he never really shows extreme reactions to anything. He's seen a lot. He's been through a lot already in his life. He's a very cool kid. And what's great about this footage, which I hope you can see in the DVD, and I'm filming it, is Rob is showing Alejandro the room where he's going to live. And they keep kind of looking at me for what they should be doing, but I really don't tell them anything. I'm curious what they're going to do. And it's so strange because even I can't quite tell, are they playing parts, are they being themselves? It's really quite interesting. We're speaking with Ramin Barani. The film is Chop Shop. It'll be opening this Friday at the Lemley Five in Los Angeles, and it will, I'm sure it will roll out from there. Yeah. I want to tell you, I, I, I just watching Ali, Alejandro, he is a remarkable, intuitive actor. What, what is so intriguing about this performance is he has the mindset of an, of an adult or someone much older than himself, but he is a kid, and so much of his performance is in his face and his eyes. I don't know if it's the, if it's the work of just an innocent in the sense that he he just was unfiltered in his reactions. Yeah, he's he's really um, extraordinary, and and part of the casting of him, and the main thing that propelled me to him the very first time I saw him was his face. Yeah. Um, he really seemed capable of containing lots of emotions and lots of energies, from childish to adult, from sweet to vicious. I mean, he seemed to have all those in his face. He really worked a lot. He came for months and months on rehearsal, and he worked actually. I should tell you. He worked with Rob, the garage owner who plays the garage owner in the film. He worked in that garage for almost four or five months prior to making the film. Is that right? Oh, yeah. At the age of 12, he had learned how to sand, prime, paint. He even learned how to cars, and he even learned how to drive a car. So, so when we're watching him prime that car, when we're watching him buff and work on the car, he's, this is him working. Oh, he's really painting somebody's car. Yeah. I don't know who, who it belongs to, but somebody has a car painted by Alejandro. <laughs> you know? uh, and the great thing is Rob would pay him... $5 for every car that he would pull into Rob's garage um, for work. That was kind of like his commission was $5. Yeah. And so that helped because that, that helped Rob would fund the pre-production, which helped me because at that time I didn't have the financing yet. So that helped me a lot. <laughs> that sounds like a first in filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> and also the other great thing was um, during the shooting of the film, when we were shooting some of these scenes where he is calling in cars and he is working, after we would finish a scene and we were setting up the next shot, which takes time, Alejandro would continue to call cars, and people in the crew very early in the process of making the shooting the film would turn to me and say, well, Remy, do you know that Ali is still over there calling cars? I say, yeah, he knows that we're not shooting. He's just trying to make five extra dollars. <laughs> and, you know, so sure enough, I would give him five extra dollars if he got it. Both the brother and sister in this, Isamar and, and Ali, they work very well together. They have this worldly... Uh, feel to them, world-wise, world-weary feel to them. But he he carries this film. It's his, I mean, this is a film carried by a, essentially a character who is, how old is he, 12, 13? 
13. He was 12 in the making of the film. Yeah, I mean, it's really remarkable to watch him. And he's so sure of himself in so many ways. And he's so wise about where he wants to go, even though, you know, things happen along the way that would happen to a child. But he's so inner-directed that it's it's quite quite remarkable to watch him. Uh, you've said that when you were about to set up a shot, you'd ask yourself a question with your director of photography, that's Michael Simmons, uh, what's the simplest way? When you're asking yourself that question, how do you get the answer? Well, you have to think about what is the point of the scene, what is the central emotion of the scene, and honestly, what, what is just the simplest way to convey to an audience that they would understand? Mm-hmm. It's amazing, actually, how much I, when I'm working, I'm thinking to myself, will the audience understand this? Because when yeah. you don't shoot um, coverage, when you don't want to shoot kind of very kind of sloppy filmmaking, which would just be, you know, a shot of a, a of a restaurant would start with an exterior and a shot of a restaurant. Everyone knows that there's a restaurant. Well, if you don't want to have that shot, how do you express to someone this is a restaurant yeah. and still stay within the scene? I mean, m- most of the scenes in the film have been done in one very complicated shot. It just appears to be accidental and appears to be as if you know things had just happened. But usually you're watching take 30 or take 40 of the same shot, and it just has this documentary feel, or this very simple feel that it has just happened. Now, do you and Michael Simmons have a lot of disagreements, or do you just work together? Comp- and what I mean is good disagreements, or do you pretty much agree on everything you're uh, about to shoot? Um, we tend to have a similar vision, which is probably why why we work together. But I, certainly, I, I don't look at uh, Michael as just a, a cameraman to do what I need him to do. He's incredibly involved, not just in the screenplay process. He's also involved in looking at my casting tapes to see who I'm looking at. And he's very involved in the creative decisions on, on set. And he even joins me along with my co-writer, Azimi. They both join me in editing. They come by sometimes for days at a time and sit and edit with me. So he, he, he's also very conscious of what, what does the audience need to get this, or is the performance believable or not. It's funny, actually, people have been calling him in, increasingly for, for works after um, Pushcart and Chomp Shop, and sometimes the directors who have seen Chomp Shop, they're like, oh, I want our movie to look like Chomp Shop. Can we just do it really quickly like you did that film? <laughs> and then he has to explain to them that it isn't so quick, and it's not so yeah, yeah. simple as it appears. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's and they're that, like, oh, we can't make it in nine days. And he's like, not if you want it to be good. Isn't that isn't that an isn't that a great compliment? I mean, I really think it is a great compliment. You made, you, know? it, you made it look easy. And another nice thing about the film, it's paced. It doesn't. It, it's nothing in this film feels forced. It no. things just unfold the way that you would imagine them to to happen. Uh, and even within scenes within scenes, there there is uh, you linger on things. Uh, in a way that you just feel like you're watching their lives, you're not watching a film. And, uh, and I, How much of that is in the editing? Even in the script, there are decisions that are being made that would keep the story, because I think the story moves very quickly. It doesn't really ever get dull or boring. It's mm-hmm. constantly moving forward. Um, it's very quick. And even this is done in, or initially really in the writing process, which is what do we need to express the emotion? What do we need to keep the movie pu- being pushed forward and which of these things would feel like a movie and which of them would feel like reality. And then next comes in the shooting process, you know, how to keep it, how to keep it engaging and still simple. And then, yeah, of course, in the editing, I mean, Chop Shop, the movie, there's something about the editing of it feels very chop, you know, like the cut point of each, the each in and out point in, in each scene is very, very deliberate to the frame, you know. Yeah. We're speaking of Ronnie, and the film is Chop Shop. 
also want to compliment you <laughs> as well on including Ahmed Razvi back in from oh, yeah. back in from um, Man Push Cart. He is this character is is so much uh, different than Man Push Cart. He does a terrific job. He really really is is good. Is he working with you on this new film? Yeah, he's great. I mean, this kind of dispels the notion of of non-actors just being themselves yeah. in movies because he's so radically different in this film than in Pushcart. It's funny, in Pushcart, people would ask me, oh, is Ahmed, you know, what corner does he work on? And I had to explain to them he's not really pushing a cart. Same with Chomp Shop. People would ask me, is Alejandro, does he go to school yet? And I'm like, well, he always went to school. <laughs> so Ahmed's great in this one. He, he unfortunately, is not in my new film. That one was shot in North Carolina. And there just wasn't a part for him. I, I wish there had been, but yeah. none of the parts matched him. And, and, but he has been doing other projects, and yeah. he is working on things. Well, he's just he was he was terrific in this. He is sort of the the good guy, bad guy at times. He has he has his some great moments in the film, and and it was a pleasure to watch him as well. Now, now, go ahead. I was just going to say it opened in New York. Uh, yes. Did you? Uh, what was the reaction there? I mean, were people from Willits Point there, or did people really respond to the the way you captured that area and the people there? Oh yeah, the re- reaction has been has been really great to the film um, in New York. Um, I, I like it when my movies do well in New York because they've been made here, and I, and I like for real New Yorkers to feel that it matches the city and that it's shown them something they didn't know about. Uh, it is right there in their own home. There have been people from the location who have seen the film, and all of them said it was completely accurate, and they believed it 100%, and, you know, they were really excited by it. Actually, same with Man Push Cart. There were a lot of push cart vendors who approached me, or even Ahmed, and told us that they really felt like it was a story of their life. So uh, those things are always good to hear. Before we let you get away, I have to ask you, who are the filmmakers that have impacted you in, in your filmmaking career? I mean, these are always tough questions because there's so many, and, and it's interesting how filmmakers that don't resemble you at all could really impact you. But I, I guess here Robert Flaherty was a big impact, and some of the Italians, of course, were important. From Rossellini, Chiarostemi, definitely, you know, and, and it was great. He was there when the film premiered in Cannes, and, and I didn't know he would just happen to be sitting right behind me, which was kind of very scary during the course of the film, but because he liked it so much, it was a great great feeling for me and for my co-writer and cameraman, who all respect him very much. Very good. What's your new project? What are you working on right now? Is it something you want to talk about? Or Yeah, sure. I'm in post-production, hoping to finish up by the end of the year a new film called Goodbye Solo, and it's about a Senegalese taxi driver named Solo, who's about in his early 30s, very friendly, very humble, kind of compassionate guy who drives a taxi in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, the movie begins very abruptly in the middle of a scene with him and William, who is a 70-year-old Caucasian man, very determined, very private person, who is offering Solo $1,000 to take him to a mountain called Blowing Rock, which is two hours from Winston-Salem. He wants to go there in, in 14 days, which is exactly on October the 20th, and he doesn't want to come back. Okay. And Oof. Solo understands he's going there to jump and kill himself, yeah. and he decides he has 14 days to become his friend so that he wouldn't do it. Okay. Huh. Well, it's a countdown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. Well. This yeah. is. Let's. Uh, let's pull us back to uh, Chop Chop. It is a wonderful film. Uh, it opens, as we said, at the uh, Lemley Five this Friday in Los Angeles. Ramin Balrani, thank you so much for being here on Film School. Thanks for having me again. 
To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.